0: Amen, amen, amen. Well, Seth, let me tell you, just about every singer is a frustrated preacher. But that's not all. Just about every preacher is a frustrated singer. But thank God for each other's gifts. If I try to sing, they'll be out of here in no time. (laughs) And he hasn't even heard me sing. (laughs) You know, I am no child psychologist. I was going to say I play one on television, but But in reality, everything I know about children and bringing up children stems from two things. First of all, many years of observation— and genuine love for children. Some of the mistakes that we parents make, God in heaven knows I made my fair share of them. (laughs) My family does too, because I confess. Is that we treat all of our children as if they were the same. As if they were the same temperament, the same aptitude, the same talents and gifts, and the same... Uh, emotional makeup, uh, same aspirations, but they're not. They're not all the same, and thank God they're not. And yes, we treat them all equally, equally, but not the same. These two brothers in the story that we've been going through, we call the Parodicals. I don't know who came up with that title, the Parodicals, but. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus never called them the prodigals, but we do. But from this story, as an illustration of two different temperaments, two different personalities, uh, two different altogether, one is a strong-willed, and the other one is only outwardly compliant. But they couldn't be more different. As they say in Australia, they're like chalk and cheese. But before I get to them, I want to say something. Please know my heart, as loving and as as sensitive as I seek God to help me be. In the last 30 years or so, there's been a phenomenon that literally breaks my heart. And if I heard it once, I've heard it many times where parents say, we want to do what our children want to do. We want to go where our children want to go. Uh, We want to make decisions based on what children want. Now, sadly, the consequences of this kind of thinking are now felt by our society at large. Please, please, please. (laughs) please… I'm not suggesting for a moment that parents should not listen to their children. I am not saying that at all. The opposite is true. We need to hear what they have to say. We need to be considerate of their feelings and their thoughts and their needs. In fact, that's really what discipline is. Some people confuse the word discipline. They think it's punishment. That's not. Discipline is that we listen to them then lovingly veer them into the right direction. That we consider what they say and then thoughtfully explain why in the long run, because they can't see the long run, in the long run there is a better way to go. Or if they have a good idea, my goodness gracious, just praise them for it and build on it. Now, beloved, the Bible calls... Parents to lead their children, not the other way around. And I could not help this week as I was riding letters, and I thought about our first grandson. He's 15 now, but and he's over six feet tall. But when when he was 14 months old, and those of you grandparents, remember you're first, and and you know you do anything for them, and uh, he was 14 months, and he was learning to walk. And, and he just learned that if he grab on my finger, he can walk and walk and walk and walk until I'm dizzy. But then, and he would walk, we were in a hotel one time, and, and he walked the whole way. I don't know how many times. I couldn't count. I lost count. But, but then he, he discovered that he couldn't take up a step, and then he'd come down that step. So, it was only one step. So, he would take that step up, he would step down. He would step up, he would step down. I got dizzy and then I realized I'm letting a 14-month lead me. No wonder I was dizzy. Billy Graham used to tell a story about a salesman who came and knocked on the door, and seven-year-old boy opened the door, and, 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 and the salesman said, uh, can I speak to the boss of the house? And the boy looked at him and said, you are talking to him. <laughs> and today, as we continue to look at the story of Jesus telling of the Father, of those two sons. I want you to turn with me, please. I want you to follow with me. And if you don't have your own Bible, 1624, page 1624 in the pew Bible. Grab one in front of you, behind you, it doesn't matter. Move around if you want to get it, that's fine. If you have it on your iPhone, iPad, now I'm going to trust you, you're going to go to the phone and you're not going to be texting while I'm preaching. <laughs> just get your phone, get your iPad, whatever you got with you, and just follow in every way you can in this amazing story that our Lord Jesus Christ tells. And today we're going to deal with the younger rebellious son, and in the next message I'll talk about the outwardly compliant son. This younger boy, as we would say, he had the mind of his own. Um, This is the kind who doesn't want to do anything his parents tell him to do. Uh, he wanted to be his own boss. In fact, back in the 60s and the 70s, there used to be a big billboard in a, in a small town in, in, the, in the South, and it read as follows, attention teenagers, are you tired of being harassed by your stupid parents? Act now. Move out. Get a job. Pay your bills while you still know Everything. I love that. Those were in the days of the sixties, if you remember. Now the word parodical really, uh, which describes this younger son in the story, it means rebellious extravagance, Uh, rebellious extravagance. He sounds like some of those liberal politicians that we have. (laughs) They're liberal with somebody else's money. I tell you, I tell you, what. but with over 50 years of experience in ministry, I want to tell you, extravagance with children in any area creates parodicals. Lack of boundaries and limitation with children create parodicals. Absence of training and discipline create parodicals. But if you really want to be extravagant with your children, young mom and dad, I want to tell you, there's one area you can be very extravagant with them. That's your time. Be very extravagant with your time with them. Well, just in case you don't think that I really have my fair share of experience in these matters, (laughs) let me tell you, our four, they're not too alike. They're as different as they come. Every one of them. Our eldest oh, by the way, I have her written permission. Uh, I, I, would not, I would not do. I used to do that when they were younger, but I don't do that anymore. I have her written permission. I mean, she was very strong, she's still very strong. God bless her. She was, could not be more than nine or ten years old, and she came down to my study, and she was looking through she always loved books. In fact, in college, they called her grandma because she was always in the library. Uh, she loved books since she was little, and she was looking through all the books and the spine of the books and my bookshelf, and, and was going like this. And then one book grabbed her attention, and she pulls it out, and she looks at it, flips in the first couple of pages, and the title of the book was, The strong Will Child. She looks at it, and she looks at me, and she said, are you reading this to learn how to deal with me? (laughs) Well, needless to say, she accomplished her life goals by the age of 25. (laughs) I'm telling you this for a reason. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to understand that if we have survived All four different temperaments and personalities, you will too. Can I get an amen? Amen. If we have lived through all of the car insurance and the driving accidents, (laughs) so can you. I remember back then when our kids were STS, and and the parents who sort of right up behind us, and they would say, because they saw what was happening, and they would say, man, if the Yusufs lived through it, we can too. We were great encouragers. (laughs) And so that's what I want to be. I want to be of a g- great encourager. Back to the younger boy before I get into any more trouble. Luke 15, I hope you have it open in front of you. Just want you to imagine the smirk on that boy's face as he was packing his Jerusalem designer jeans and uh, his man Zion designer shirts. I can imagine his surly face accusing his parents of being out of touch with reality. I can imagine the bitterness that he had to a dad for his rules about going to church and cleaning his room and doing his chores. The Bible said it was only a few days after he gathered some of his assets that his father gave him and left, probably went on a fire sale and converted these assets into cash, filled his pocket with cash, went out into his convertible camel. <laughs> Have you ever seen a convertible camel? Seriously. They all are. <laughs> he got into his convertible camel and popped up the wheels, front wheels and whoo peeled rubber. Thirty feet headed for the big apple oh baby he's made it now he takes off and leaves behind a broken-hearted father a scornful older brother a devastated community he leaves no rights to claim he burns all the bridges Or at least he thought he did. He wipes the slate clean, or so he thought. Look what Jesus said in verse 13. And the sun scattered. I know some translation has other words, but the word scattered is more accurate because it's literally the same word that is used when a farmer at planting time throwing seeds on the ground during the planting time. Kind of without much thought, he's just scattering it around. He was thinking that this money is going to buy him friends, that this money will buy him happiness, that this money will buy him popularity, this money is going to buy him some social standing. And it worked. It worked for a while (laughs) while the money lasted. I recently was reading an article about some celebrity who has all these friends for a big party, and the commentator says, "This is those friends that she bought." <laughs> now, to all young, my young friends, I want you to listen to me, Whatever you've been saying, young friends, please listen to me. This is coming from the heart of a, a loving grandfather. Be careful of wanting popularity at any cost. Be careful. Be careful of wanting acceptance at any cost, because it, cost, it could cost you a whole lot more than money. And when the money ran out for this young man, all of his friends that he bought with his money basically dropped him and dumped him like a, a disposable diaper. Now you would think, okay, he's in trouble first thing that occurred to him at this point is go home, right? Oh, no. He is not about to crawl back to his father. His pride is still alive and well. I want to tell you, I want to stop for a moment. I want to tell you something about pride. We all have it. Did you get that? We all have it, my very dear and special friend who taught me so much. My mentor went to be with the Lord about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, John Stott. He taught me more about that issue than because in my mind I thought, you know, this is something that we outgrow it as we get older. He was in his 70s, I was in my 40s, and I gave him what I call a genuine introduction. And over lunch he looked at me, he said, brother, in his Oxford accent, he said, brother, You have tempted me with pride today. I looked at him, (laughs) mid-seventies, at your age? He said, you don't ever, ever outgrow pride. Boy, what a lesson that was. What a lesson that was. You see, either you acknowledge pride, confess it, repent of it, or call it some other name and hide behind it. I'm so grateful to John Stott for so many things that he taught me through the years. I will always acknowledge that. And in fact, he said something else about pride. He said, it is the one, number one reason why people don't come to Christ. He said, they might call themselves atheists, agnostics, they might call themselves whatever they want to call them. He said, you dig deep, you go all the way down, dig deep, it's pride. They don't want to humble themselves before God. They're too prideful. They think they can save themselves. Coming to Christ, crown Him, the Lord of your life, requires putting down of human pride. I'm guessing that at this point, this son is not broken enough is not desperate enough to come home. Probably he said to himself, I can't go back there. I, I can't go back there and ask for forgiveness. That's require humility. I'm going to eat my brother's food, and I'm going to live under my father's house, and I cannot walk through the narrow streets of the village where every finger is pointing at me. To make things worse, verse 14, look at verse 14, underline it. A famine struck that part of the world where they were living. See, that son was not ready yet, even though there's a famine, but he's still not ready. So he gets a brilliant idea, a brilliant idea you never thought about before. Get a job. Well, what kind of a job a Jewish boy, a Jewish young man is going to have in a gentle country in the middle of famine? I mean, uh, bankers and corporations are not hiring CEOs anymore. <laughs> and there, where he hits rock bottom. Now, this is rock bottom, not rock, rock, rock bottom, but just rock bottom. <laughs> Hasn't got to rock, rock, rock bottom yet. For a Jewish young man to take care of pigs would be like a very rich American kid working on cleaning sewers. Remember, pigs back then were not like what they are now in the Western countries where you have hog farmers uh, feed them nice food and take good care of them and clean them and all that stuff. Back then, they gave the pigs... The worst of the worst of the worst of the garbage. Think about this. And that's why our Jewish friends to this day do not eat ham. But this is a famine time. This is a famine time. Even the garbage was in short supply. (laughs) So they use these dry pods. Some of you may have seen those called carobs. You know, carobs the two varieties of carobs. I, as a boy growing up, I used to eat the edible one. The edible one, a little softer you can eat, and they're sweet. But there's a the harder ones that they're fed for, to the pig. I mean, literally, will destroy your teeth if you just take one bite. And those unedible carobs or pods, verse 16, look at it with me. <laughs> But even this young man, this is what they're giving to the pigs, but but he couldn't, they wouldn't let him have some of that. In other words, the pigs were better off than he was. Now, beloved, this is what you call the bottom of the bottom of the bottom for that son. So now he begins to think how much better off servants in his father's household and the servants' quarters, how much better off they are than he is where he is now in this abysmal condition. Finally, he begins a thinking of swallowing his pride. <laughs> Have you ever tried to swallow your pride? Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> you can get choked. But, but it's a good thing to do every now and again. Swallow his pride. Listen. Pride, as I told you, I said, truly is, is, is when people think that they can save themselves. Do you know that for the first time since inauguration of the National Day of Prayer, I think it was under President Truman, it's the first time in America in 2021 that the proclamation of the National Day of Prayer did not mention the name of God. Pride. Pride. Pride destroy individuals. Pride destroy nations. Pride destroy families. Think about this. Think about this. We think that, you, you know, printing money and borrowing money is going to save us. That's our salvation. Now, beloved, listen to me. I, I, I tend to digress every now and again, but, 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 but I want you to listen carefully The chicken will soon come home to roost, (laughs) and remember, you heard it from me. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The headline in the Sydney Morning Herald, May 11th. I keep up with the world's headline news. 2021. I asked them to put it on the screen, so you know you you don't think I made it up. (laughs) Look at that. Put the camera on there. (laughs) The world is partying hard on free money, but beware of the hangover. The hangover is coming. In fact, it went on to say that the global debt now is approaching 100% of GDP, gross domestic products. Listen, I am not a prophet of doom. I am just a fruit inspector. (laughs) I need to move on. I have to move on. Listen to me please the very core the very core of the christian faith is that it is only when a person comes to the realization that they are totally broken that they are desperate in need of the savior that they have to bend the knees to the savior that they have to bend their will To the Lord Jesus Christ, they have to come and say, Father, forgive me. That's the very core of our Christian faith. Verse 17, Jesus said that when the Son came to Himself, that's actually a literal translation, came to Himself. Some of your translations said, came to His senses. But literally, He came to Himself, He came to His senses. Only then will he began to articulate his speech that he needs to give to the Father. He began to rehearse what he would say to the Father. What would he say to the Father? See, all of a sudden, he began to snap out of his insanity. All of a sudden, he began to snap out of his stupor of self-focus. All of a sudden, and, but listen carefully, please, listen carefully. This is more than just feeling sorry that he wasted his money, that he has wasted his life, uh, that, he, that, that, that things just did not work out uh, 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 as the way he wished that they would have worked out. This is not just being sorry that plans failed. No, 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 no. This is a whole lot more than that. He actually realized that he had sinned greatly, not only against his father, but against God. He actually came to the realization that He brought degradation and shame on His Father's good name. He understood now that everything has to change. Everything has to change. He is no longer arrogant and prideful. He is no longer feeling, I deserve this. He is now contented to be called a servant or a slave. He is now happy to live in the servant's quarters. He is now happy to have a servant-master relationship. To put it in the vernacular, he was totally and completely broken before God, often We have to be broken before we come to our senses. Look at this young man. You see, when he left home, what did he say? He said, give me. But when he came home, he said, make me. When he left home, he resented being called a son. But when he came back and came to his senses, he was willing to be called a slave. When he left home, he called it independence and pleasure-seeking. But when he came home, he called it sin. He got what he wanted and lost what he had. Now he's contented with far less. Beloved, the Bible said in Hebrews eleven twenty-five. 25, Hebrews eleven twenty-five. 25, sin is pleasurable. For a moment, for a moment, it's pleasurable until STD or AIDS begin to destroy the body. It's pleasurable until alcohol begins to destroy the liver. It's pleasurable until drugs start frying the brains. Or until you realize that there is a hefty price that there are many other people are paying for your sin. In fact, I believe there are three stages for sin. Now, no, don't panic. It's not three-point sermons, uh, sermon, but three stages. I'll tell you them very, very quickly. There is the charm of sin, there is the contour of sin, and there is the consequences of sin. I had to work hard get them all in the sea here, so you can remember them. I'm going to explain that. There's the charm of sin. It was the allure of the far country, away from mom and dad. The allure. Then there was the control or the profile. I use control because it's as we see. The <laughs> profile of sin. Give me. I deserve this. And then there is the consequences of sin. The spiritual pigsty. Beloved, the only answer to sin is return. Return. Can you say that with me? Return. Repent. Return to the place that you know God wants you to be. Return to the place what you know your parents have prayed for you, your family members and your friends have prayed for you to come back to return to the place where your Father's security, s- safety. In the last message, I showed you how the Father stripped Himself of His dignity, of His honor. In, in that context, in that culture, He stripped Himself by running in order to welcome His repentant Son. And we saw that this is a picture of God the Father through God the Son going to the cross, suffering all the indignities and the pain and the suffering of the cross in order that those who are redeemed and repent of their sins be forgiven, be restored, be accepted, and be qualified for heaven. But there's something else I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss. And it's about the encounter between the repentant son and the forgiving father. The repentant Son and the forgiving Father. Don't miss this. I alluded to it in the last message, and I said I'm going to say more about it in the next message, just not bait and switch. I just wanted you to be thinking, and I'm here today to tell you, the more that I promise I'm going to do. The Father did not even let the Son finish the speech. Now, this is very, He said, oh, Michael, what's the big deal about this? It's huge. Just listen to me, okay? Humor me. Probably this young man, no doubt, knowing human nature, he was rehearsing the speech in his mind. He's probably going over it. When I see my father, I'll say this. And when I see my father, I'll say this. When I see my father, I'll say this. You know, goes rehearsing it in his head. But look at verse 21. Verse 21. The son began to make the speech, Father… I have sinned, and as if the Father says, I've heard enough, I've heard all I want to hear, I've heard all I need to hear, But, but, but what about the part of making me one of your hired servants? That's not necessary. But why? Because the Father, listen to me, this is very important. The Father, our Father in heaven, does not take anyone who is not a son or a daughter. Can I get an amen? Now, we can serve God, and we do joyfully to our hearts content, I have the privilege of calling myself the servant of the living God, but because of Jesus, the Father will not, He will not, say it with me, He will not call us anything other than son and daughter. (laughs) Glory to God. I want to shout about you. (laughs) (laughs) Beloved, listen to me. The grace of God is not partial The grace of God is not with measure. The grace of God is not conditional. The grace of God is immeasurable. Like the old song we used to sing in the old days by Thomas Williams, Oh, deep, deep love of Jesus, vast and unmeasurable, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. But, Father, what about my past sins? (laughs) What sins? But, Father, what about what I did to you? What did you do to me? I know most of you know this, but let me remind you again, and I, I don't want you to ever forget. Write it down, hang it on the wall, on your fridge, wherever you want to. Satan is the only one who will always remind you of your past sins. God never. God never. Because the Bible said he takes our past sins and he puts them in the deepest sea. As dear Cory Timboom used to say, don't you go fishing for them. <laughs> Something else as I conclude. Some of you may have a hard time forgiving somebody else. I don't know. Only you do your parents perhaps, a family member, son or daughter, a brother or sister in Christ, and you're having a hard time forgiving them, or having a hard time forgiving yourself. Beloved, that's pride. That's pride. If God forgave you, you can and you must forgive others. Often that's called self-righteousness. You notice the young man did not stop in one of the bath houses nearby the village before he came to daddy and took a hot bath, cleaned himself up, stopped smelling and stinking. Now, there are people watching me in the Middle East right now, and I know because I grew up there, where some churches put you through hoops before you come to the Father. I want you to listen, please. The boy did not go to an old friend and say, can I borrow some clothes because I, these are filthy clothes and I really, I, I want to get dressed and pre- be presentable to, the fa- to my father. He did not do that. He came to the Father as he is. As Billy Graham often had the song, Just As I Am. Confession on his lips. Repentance in his heart. Because only the Father, listen to me, only the Father can truly cleanse us when he forgives us. Can I get an amen from this body here? There are some people who think that you have to go through these hoops, through these hoops, before God can accept you. I grew up in it, I know it, I understand it. I don't agree with it because it's obviously not biblical. Today, you can change that. Others think that they have to go through some religious rituals before they've been accepted by the Father, falsehood. The Father only wants to hear from the lips and know that the heart is repentant of sin, accepting Jesus as your only Savior and the Lord of your life, He will do the rest. He will do the rest. Will you pray with me, please? Father, there are as many situations as there are many people watching around the globe and around this country literally tens and tens of countries, and as many people here in this beautiful sanctuary, and you know every heart, and you know every circumstance, and you know how your word convicted us all differently. Thank you for convicting me with my own words. And so I pray not a soul, not a person who's at the sound of my voice who heard the call of a loving Father to come with a confessing mouth and repentant heart that would not respond before it's too late. It's your work because you, Jesus, said the Father has to draw them. And I take comfort in that. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I sit down, I'm going to surprise all my pastor's colleague, my pastoral uh, team here. Uh, I didn't tell them that, but I'm going to ask them to come. At the at last stanza of the second hymn, As we, I'm going to ask them to come and stand here. If you want to talk to somebody, if you want to pray with somebody, I'm going to ask them to all be here and to pray with you and as, as, as the need arises. Whatever God laid on your heart, you'll be down here. Thank you, guys, for forgiving me ahead of time. Just God put it on my heart. Thank you. Will you stand up and bless the Lord in the song?